Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, next week is a high-stakes week for education. For 12 school districts across Idaho, Tuesday is a big election day. There are going to be $261.4 million of bond issues and levies on the ballot. And then there's Thursday, September 1st. That's when legislators will return to town for a special session. Governor Brad Little laid out his vision for that special session earlier this week. The big centerpiece for education, he would like to see an additional $410 million per year put into education programs as part of a complicated and a comprehensive bill that would also uh, provide tax credits and income tax reductions. So a lot on the line next week. To break it all down, I sit down this week with Quinn Perry. She is the deputy director of the Idaho School Boards Association. We talk about the bond and levy elections that are coming up. We talk about the special session, and we take kind of a bigger picture look at the challenges of building schools and maintaining schools in this very challenging uh, time of inflation and this time of growth. Here's our conversation. Well, Quinn, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. I wanted to talk about next week. It's going to be a very eventful week for schools and school funding. Let's start with next Tuesday, election day for a lot of school districts. What are you going to be watching? I'm definitely going to be watching all the bond questions out. Um, As you know, bonds are a very difficult threshold for school districts to achieve, the two-thirds supermajority. So we always just like to see how communities are responding, how many folks turn out in those elections, and ultimately what the outcomes are. Um, But part of the reason why we're going to be watching it so closely is just this is such an interesting time when it comes to particularly capital improvement projects, right? The costs are rising, costs of labor are rising. So if a bond question fails, the needs of the district don't change. And you're going to see communities have to go back together and figure out how to address the situation that's happening for school districts. And some really large bond issues here close to to Boise. I mean, when you look at what's on the ballot in Middleton and and Valley View, those are big big bond issues in communities that are seeing a lot of growth, but also seeing a lot of the pressures of inflation and building costs. Yes. Yeah, I think the growth is is something I'm hearing more and more about and from communities that maybe we haven't always heard about it. I mean, it's always been an issue in the Meridian, West Ada area. You know, CUNA for for years has advocated for relief in some way in the form of development impact fees. But I've been watching Middleton and Valley View in particular very closely. I think you saw, you know, Valley View attended a city council meeting where they asked the city not to approve Mm -hmm. building permits for subdivisions. And, you know, and and they were I don't want to say they were ignored, but of course, the city ended up approving the building permit. But I think this is a really good way to spearhead the discussion about how we need to address school facilities from a multi-prong approach. Growth is going to be a huge part of it. Um, You know, when subdivisions are being built and these massive growth is happening, School districts aren't necessarily taken into account when they're approving these these projects. And the needs of the district are starting to become more and more relevant. They're, you know, they're even had a cap, I think, imposed on them and how many portables that Valley View can put on their school property. I think, you know, when you look at 
you know, elementary schools that are exceeding, you know, their capacity by, you know, over 20%, that becomes a school safety issue. So I think, you know, we've advocated for many years about impact fees, Uh, you know, Middleton, CUNA, Valley View, these growing communities could really benefit from some relief on that front. But I'm also cognizant that an impact fee is not a silver bullet approach, right? You know, you have to charge a reasonable fee, and even that may not cover entirely mm-hmm. the cost of a new school building, which, of course, are increasing <laughs> by the yeah. day, by the minute. Um, but a development impact fee could be one tool that a school district could use to help alleviate that growth on existing taxpayers. I want to get to legislative relief, and I want to get to CUNA before okay. we <laughs> before we get to uh, yeah. the end of the podcast okay. here. But before <laughs> I do that. I'm really interested in Coeur d'Alene. It's a very large plant facilities levy that they're proposing. It's $80 million in a community that on the one hand is dealing with a lot of growth, a community that has supported supplemental levies in the past, but a very conservative community, a community that's going through a lot of a, a lot of political yeah, turmoil. You know, turmoil. So how do you how do you assess Coeur d'Alene and their their ask and whether they can get to a 55% supermajority on, on that levy? Sure. You know, I think the Coeur d'Alene School District is a great example of they're doing what they can to fit their needs. And this is something I try to tell policymakers all the time when people are anxious about a reoccurring bond question on the ballot or anything. The needs of the district aren't changing. In fact, they're probably being exacerbated the longer that we have to delay these projects. So Coeur d'Alene coming together to say, you know, maybe instead of building entirely new facilities, we're going to renovate, we're going to do massive improvement Mm -hmm. projects, to me is a way of saying that they're going to be more prudent with the resources that they have and acknowledge that they're facing a a tough political climate when it comes to these issues. And a lot of it is tied to that school safety issue. When I talked to Sean Hawker about their proposal, that was the first thing he said about why they're going for what they're going for. Totally. Communities... School board members and administrators and all of the folks in the school community who are putting these questions out to taxpayers and to electors to decide are not doing it in silos, right? They're they're assessing the needs of their schools, but then they're going to parents and they're going to community members about really what their needs are, what they want to see come from the school. And, and the school district is responding by saying, you know what, you're right. We think school safety is a huge priority, and we're going to ensure that where this money goes is ensuring the most safe facilities for our school children. So I think it's huge that, you know, they're looking and responding their, to their community in this way. And I think you're always going to find opposition to a property tax levy question. You you will. It's just, it's mm-hmm. natural and you know, if we could go back to 2006 and have that conversation about, you know, removing the M&O levy and really putting, you know, school districts out there where they're having to go out for questions. You know, the ghost of special sessions. The passed. ghost of special sessions. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, we could we if we could fast forward to now 2022 and see where we're at. I think the conversation would look a lot differently. But this is one of the only methods available to school districts to improve or to build or improve failing facilities. And it's not just the capital projects that are on the ballot next week. I was struck by Three Creek, oh. one of the smallest districts in the state. And then first I kind of chuckled when I saw that they're seeking a $40,000 supplemental levy. But yeah. if you run the numbers, $40,000 in a district that barely has double-digit enrollment, 
That's a big deal. That is a huge deal. The three Creek ballot question, I hope, should shock the, the minds of everybody who's paying attention to school funding. But yes, seeing that they're going out for a $40,000 levy to pay for a paraprofessional, I think, speaks volumes to the needs that our schools are facing. And you're right. I think Three Creek... You know, there's a few elementary districts that toggle between who's the smallest. I think this year, Three Creek is the smallest mm-hmm. school district, serving, I think, under 10 kids this year. Um, but that means the needs of the school isn't changing. They need a paraprofessional in that school to help with the kids and ensuring that they're getting the, the same learning environment that a kid would in Boise. And for you, I'm sure it's hard not to juxtapose a $40,000 supplemental levy against a $2 billion surplus. Absolutely. Absolutely. And these bond issues that we're talking about, these plant facilities levies, um, it's a big election next week, but it's starting to look like the trend is towards even bigger bond issues in the future. I mean, we've got Idaho Falls Mm -hmm. already going for $250 million. We have CUNA talking about $300 million. Mm -hmm. We don't know what to expect from West Ada, but it looks like they're positioning towards what could be a, a pretty significant bond issue. I mean, is this the... Is this the new normal? I think we are all navigating what is the new normal as far as the cost of materials, the cost of labor. But the reality is that building a new school is much more expensive than it was even three, four years ago. And I think we can't ignore the fact that, you know, we have to adjust to this unknown market the way that regular everyday Idahoans are having to adjust. So I definitely think it's a new norm in these communities that are growing like crazy, which is like the Cunas, the Valley Views, the Bonneville, the Idaho Falls, and even up north in Coeur d'Alene, Post Falls, and Lakeland. Those communities are experiencing so much growth that they're having to really sit down and plan out what this is going to look like so that they're using these taxpayer dollars to their best advantage to the community. They're ensuring that they're purchasing land for future school buildings. They're they're looking 10, 15 years out at, you know, how is their HVAC systems going to survive? How is their piping going to work? And is it going to fit all of this new growth that's being projected to come into the community? So I do think you are going to see more and more of these high dollar bond questions at least being discussed. Now, I'm not going to talk about the viability of them because I know that's already a massive hurdle. But I think, again, it's a reminder for people to know that school districts get very little state support when it comes to school facilities funding. And that's really, I think, the issue at hand is that we are having to rely on the taxpayers to help foot the bill for these capital projects. Yeah, and property taxpayers, the right. perennially unpopular property tax is where this all kind of falls down. Absolutely. Falls to. And, you know, it's hard to ignore when every legislative session we come together and, you know, we're seeing more and more attempts for property tax relief. And, you know, we know that we need to be partners in that, but, you know, it's also a reminder that we don't, we have very few other options available to schools in order to build or repair school facilities. So I think it really calls for a more thoughtful discussion between policymakers and public school districts and really constituents, right, about what folks need to address this because. Simply by, you know, you know this, Kevin, you know, by putting a bill out there that would limit bond elections. I mean, that doesn't 
solve the issue at hand. It does not solve the facilities issues that we're experiencing. Um, if anything, it intensifies the pressure on the districts to yeah. figure out how to get a bond issue through the first time. I mean, if you look at Valley View, right, I think, you know, like even if you scale your project back, which is what most school districts do, if they have a failed bond, they come back together, they figure out, okay, why did the bond fail? And people come with their feedback. And so the school district might say, okay, we're going to scale back the project. Well, the costs may have increased between that two, three month cooling off period where, you know, the bond may be actually more, even though they've scaled the project back to cost. Right. If you just do cocktail napkin math here, I mean, if you had an 11 month waiting period between Mm -hmm. a failed bond issue and a re- a re-request on a bond issue. If you, if you have an 11-month waiting period and a time of 8% inflation, it's, it's pretty clear that you're going to be looking at several million dollars more for the same proposal. Absolutely. And so I think, you know, it just goes back to the issue of, is this method truly working for communities? Is it working for school districts? And is it really serving kids? And if you read that OPE report from earlier this year, it's not working. It's not working. And, you know, I think the solutions at hand could be could be many. There could be many opportunities for folks to start to really grapple or wrap their heads around what the true need is. And one of the first things that was very obvious in the OPE report was that we don't really have enough data about the current mm-hmm. state of school facilities to really right. make. That was one of my takeaways as I read that report earlier yes. this year was... You know, the legislature has not asked for a comprehensive look at the needs yes. since 1993. And right. none of these legislators were there in 1993. I was an I was in elementary school in 1993, Kevin, not to call myself out on how uh, young I am. But yes, I think... I was not in elementary school, so thank you for, <laughs> you for driving that point home. Um, so yeah, I definitely think one of the first things that I would tell a policymaker is, is fund a, a true study where we can yeah. grasp and wrap our head around the true need for school facilities because I think it would it would quite frankly open the eyes to folks to why these things are being discussed why these multi-million dollar bond questions are being discussed because and the needs are going to be different and I think that's the other thing that I think we really need to talk more about which is you know what's happening in you know Boundary County School District, right? If you look at what their bond was that failed, I think in the May election, you know they're they're talking about like they have clay pipes that are failing. They have you know they have issues with the roof. Is it able to sustain those heavy snowfalls in North Idaho winters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a lot of portables, which means there's a lot of kids space where they're you know traveling to and from school buildings. Is that safe in this right. in the wake of school safety? And then you look at you know, Valley View where, you know, a majority of their elementary schools are operating at huge capacity limits. So, you know, I know that the needs of every school district are going to be different, but if we took an, a comprehensive look at the needs and the unique needs that every district has, I think policymakers could come up with a multitude of solutions that could help alleviate the burden on taxpayers. Because, I mean, it's a good point you're making. It's it's two Idahos, or it's at least two Idahos. It's your growing districts that need new schools to handle all the kids who are right. coming in. And it's maybe some of these districts with stagnant enrollment, you know, maybe a, a stagnant tax base, but mm-hmm. they've got their buildings are aging. 
they've got safety issues. That's exactly that that's exactly it. And then you have some, you know, charter schools are a great example. If you look at the OPE study, most of them rated their school facilities as good condition. However, they face other they face other issues. They're not able to go out and put a tax question out to taxpayers. They have to come up with the funding for school facilities either in their existing appropriation through other means. So I think we have to approach it knowing that no two communities look exactly the same in the needs of their schools, but the solutions that exist to them are all one size fits all. You have a, the ability to run a plant facility levy, which mm-hmm. of course the approval rate is based on the tax levy rate. Right. Then you have the two thirds supermajority for new facility or capital improvement projects that are you know ab- above a certain threshold. And then you have, you know, bond levy equalization and, you know, the lottery funding, which helps go support school facilities, which I'm never going to say is not enough because that is an immensely helpful thing for school districts. Bond levy equalization, of course, helps pay down bond payments for school districts and the the facilities funding that comes from lotteries is super helpful, you know, in these communities where it's replacing a roof, which is huge to a school district if they can get a a roof replacement. Sure. They can get a brand new HVAC, right? Mm-hmm. I heard a uh, a rural school administrator tell me that you know they needed a new heating and air conditioning system, which was going to cost nearly a million dollars. And this is a K twelve school all in one building, but a million dollars to a tiny community is a lot of money. Yeah. So you know that we know that the needs will be different. The solutions exist that could look differently for everyone, and it's really just going to take policymakers to probably start from square one, which I think is that comprehensive study on each school building. And I was going to say, I mean, the legislature has been pretty resistant on this in the yes. past. Uh, your group and your members have been hoping to <laughs> convince legislators to look at impact fees. Yeah. You're hoping probably in a time of record surplus for them to do that and maybe other things, but this has not been, this has been a really tough sell of the legislature. Absolutely. I mean, you know, for the last 20 or so years, my members have asked us to advocate for a reduction of the supermajority. And not only has that never happened, but not a single piece of public policy has ever been considered to address mm-hmm. the supermajority question. And that's and a huge hurdle to huge get over. You've got to get through two thirds of the houses. It's a amendment. So there is a huge hurdle that, Quite frankly, I don't know that the political environment is there for that. So, yeah, impact fees started coming up a few years ago. And, you know, more and more I'm seeing, I I mean, I've been invited to um, a concerned citizens group in Canyon County to talk about impact fees. You know, you see these little districts, you know, I got a a call from a small school district down in the um, Marsh Valley area that's saying, well, we want to look at impact fees because we know we're experiencing growth. And, you know growth of a huge subdivision in a small community can really create an impact on the public facilities like a school district. So I definitely think those conversations are happening more and more in community, but we've never successfully been able to even introduce a bill around impact fees at the legislature. Do you see that changing? You know, I I think yes. I think people are starting to... You know, okay, so the last time there was an impact fee for school districts bill in the legislature, I think it was in 2008, and the sponsor was now Majority Leader Mike Moyle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I... I don't know why I, I wasn't around to hear, you know, kind of maybe why that fizzled or why that didn't succeed. But you look at 2006 growth compared to what growth Idaho is experiencing today in 2022, yeah. and I think people are starting to really realize that 
oh, growth really does need to pay for itself. Otherwise, we're asking our existing tax base to pay for that growth. Especially in a legislative district like Mike Moyles in West Absolutely. Dade County. Absolutely. Star where is growing like crazy. crazy. Absolutely. So I think... I think it's ripe for the discussion. And, you know, I've been pushing for simply an informational hearing. What would it look like if we had this as an option? But I also try to temper expectations. It is not a silver bullet. Okay, we can't just say impact fees. We wiped our hands clean of the school facilities issues because, like I've said, it's never likely going to front the entire cost of a school facility. Uh, however, it would alleviate some of that burden. Um, but there are other kinds of ways that we're going to need to look at school facilities funding, too. Um, you'll see our legis- in our legislative platform that's going to come before our members, which is not necessarily public yet, but you're going to see a lot of discussions around are school districts considered when subdivisions are approved for these massive projects. Is the impact on the school district considered when cities are approving these permits? You're gonna see questions around maybe a revolving loan grant, which there was a discussion about that for charter schools last year. Mm -hmm. It is a program that has existed in other states and it's certainly worth looking at for school districts. I think you're gonna see a lot on school safety about how facilities play an immense role in school safety. You're gonna see folks proposing that you know, facilities equal safety. And so we should think about grants that help support at least vestibule upgrades, you know, to school facilities. So this all comes up when your group meets in Coeur d'Alene in November. Yes. And it becomes our legislative platform. But it's a discussion that everyone yeah. is having now. They're eyeing the surplus. They're seeing they're seeing the struggles that every community is facing. And we're starting to say the method that's hap- the methods that we have available to us now are not working. So what can we do to propose solutions that policymakers could consider to help alleviate that burden? But before we can get to any of that, yeah. we've got a special session. The governor is wanting a special yes. session now on September 1st. We now know that. Yes. And it doesn't necessarily address school facilities, but it definitely does address school funding yeah. in, in his vision. How do you see all of that? Factoring into this mix? Great question. You know, I think, um, you know, when folks start to hear about the special session, they're going to wonder, well, where is that money actually going? And the answer is that nobody will know until come 2023 when JFAC meets to set the public schools appropriation. However, I think we can make a valiant argument that policymakers need to look at school facilities as to one of those areas that school districts are, quite frankly, really struggling in. So, you know, is 300 million or upwards of 300 million enough? Probably not, because you're looking at communities like CUNA that are proposing that for just their school district alone. But could they consider maybe proposals to help, you know, alleviate some of the costs so that um, school districts might be able to have a match for their school bond, right? If they go out for maybe a, a different bond and the state could meet them halfway in addition to bond levy equalization, that could certainly help alleviate the burden on taxpayers. So it's a yes and conversation. I, say, yeah. I um, I, you know, I'm never going to say that school facilities are the only dire need. I mean, we, you know, that classified staff has still been an ongoing issue. Um, you know, teacher salaries, teacher you got salaries, the insurance, insurance benefits, discretionary. Insurance. I mean, again, inflation is impacting school districts too. The cost of paper products, the cost of gasoline for our school buses, all of those things are being projected onto school districts too. And those so, are at least areas where the legislature has come around and said, yeah, we're going to 
invest in teacher salaries. We're going to invest right. in insurance benefits for for all employees. Right. It's Maybe not moving as quickly as classified employees yeah. as yeah. you like, but. Yeah, the classified issue is just, it's so nuanced. I think that's really what it is, is it's so hard to look at, you know, one bucket of employees and think that all of them could, you know, be allocated the same salary. So, you know, some of that's just education on our part to help policymakers understand what that plays out at the local level. But yeah, and, you know, discretionary funding, you know, I think the OPE study really outlined it where we're still not up to pre-MNO levies, right? Mm -hmm. Where um, this idea where school districts were able to pay costs using this flexible bucket is really becoming a more and more dire situation as inflation continues to impact citizens in the U.S., including Idaho. So. You know, I think, you know, you're going to see us having to figure out and narrow down what those priorities will certainly look like. But school facilities is still the top of my members radar. I mean, I've never before seen as many resolutions that are coming to build up our platform to talk about growth and to talk about, you know, we're they're really struggling to figure out school facilities. And we have a duty and obligation to ensure that our buildings are safe. Uh, we know that communities benefit from good school facilities. If you drive, I think I've said this in your podcast before, but when I do road trips in Idaho and I'm driving through like these rural communities, like the school district is the epicenter of these mm-hmm. small towns. Yeah. And we know that, you know, it's hard for folks to pick up the cost and pay for those facilities, but we also know that they're essential to those communities. So we really do need to come together and find multitude of approaches. It's never going to be one silver bullet. We have to think of avenues that are going to fit for these small school districts that may just need massive improvements to their school facilities to the Valley View, CUNA, Middleton, West Adas, who are just growing in enrollment and are going to need additional Mm -hmm. school facilities. So it is not one size fits all, just like, you know, many policies are not. And I think it's right time for the legislature to have that discussion. Because at some point, and I'm sure this is what you hear from your members, growth is contributing to the surplus. It's a driving force behind the surplus. Growth is also the driving force behind the facilities challenges your members are facing. Reinvesting it back into the reason why we're having the surplus makes a lot of sense to me. Kind of the calm before the storm this week. It's going to be a very eventful week. Next week, Quinn, thanks for helping to set the stage. Thank you, Kevin. Again, that was Quinn Perry, the Deputy Director of the Idaho School Boards Association. If you want more information about some of the uh, stories that Quinn and I talked about in the podcast, Go to idahoednews.org and you can get caught up there. Devin Bodkin has a breakdown of what exactly is on the ballot on Tuesday, the uh, $261.4 million of bond issues and levies. He has it broken down by district. That story is a few days old, but it is still available. And as we get closer to the election, if you want to find out what's happening in your part of the state, that's a good place to start. Devin also has a really nice piece kind of explaining the stakes in Idaho Falls and how that election might play out as uh, that district seeks a $250 million bond issue. And if you are just confused right now, if you hear me talking about school levies and bond issues and you're trying to figure out what the heck we're talking about, Carly Flandreau has a nice breakdown, a nice explainer piece that that goes through the terminology and, and breaks it down for you. It is part of a new feature that she's launching called Spelling It Out. And the goal of Spelling It Out is to do exactly that, to take some of the terminology, some of the jargon that you hear in education circles and really demystify the terms. 
And if you have any suggestions, if you have jargon that throws you for a loop that you would really like better explained, email carly at, at idoednews.org and pass on your suggestions. And as for that special session, Sadie Dittenberg and I have a story from Tuesday explaining exactly what Governor Brad Little is hoping to, to pass on Thursday when he gets lawmakers back into town. What's in the bill and what are education stakeholders saying about it? We have that at idahoednews.org. And a lot more on the website. I'll uh, throw in a mention of a project that I launched on Thursday. This is a piece, a couple of pieces that I've been working on for the better part of the summer. I wanted to get a little bit better sense of the public relations firestorm that Boise State University faced in the uh, aftermath of Professor Scott Yenner's address in his speech uh, back in October. You remember the story. What I wanted to do was, was get a sense of what was the response from the campus community and how did Boise State handle the public relations uh, siege that, uh, that transpired? I looked over 1,160 pages of emails to get a sense of what was in the paper trail and asked a lot of questions of Boise State. I submitted about 1,200 words of written questions. Most were not answered. And we also had some pushback uh, with Boise State over getting emails on Scott Yenner. Originally, Boise State uh, tried to charge us more than $700 for those records. We pushed back. We got the records uh, free of charge, which is standard procedure in state government, but may not be standard procedure at Boise State in the uh, in the future. So we explain all of that. A story, like I say, a couple of stories I've been working on for the better part of the summer. It was nice to get those out. I'd be interested to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments about it, you can email me at krichard at idahoednews.org. That's going to wrap it up. It's been a busy week, and next week is going to be even busier. So check back with us on Tuesday. We will have election results. We'll get those up first thing Wednesday morning, let you know what happened with those school elections across the state. And we will have full coverage of the special session. Sadie and I will be uh, at the State House bright and early on Thursday morning to see what happens with the special session. So this week uh, and next week and really next week for sure, you'll want to follow us on Twitter at idahoednews.org. We tweet out links to our latest stories. We tweet out bulletins on breaking items, so we will keep you current on what's happening. Follow us on Facebook and comment on our stories there. And check back next week for another podcast. I don't want to give away too much about the podcast. I never try to uh, scoop myself here, but I think we'll probably be talking about that special session. <laughs> well, you'll just have to come back and make sure, but uh, I, I would bet on that. Until next week, this is Kevin Richard. Have a good week. Bye.